Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Ruth McGowan about getting elected to government, local, state or federal. Government, to my mind, is just another board. So we'll be talking about the governance challenges in councils, we'll be talking about office politics and more. Now, I should note that I recorded this interview in late 2019. Since then, we are, of course, in the middle of the Australian bushfire season, and I've been doing this series on climate change, bushfires, and its impact in the boardroom. So I thought revisiting this discussion with Ruth would be helpful. In my updated conversation with her, we find out how she and her community are, And we also gained some additional insights from her about how getting elected can help to ensure that the science of climate change is heeded in government. It's a call to action for us all. If we care about these issues, we need to be part of the solution and go get elected. We'll start with the update and then go into the main interview. So you might notice a change in the audio as we chop and change between the two interviews. But I know that that additional information that we got from Ruth more recently will be of incredible value to you. First, let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth assists leaders in the local government and public sector to learn how to become more politically astute at work, in the community and engaging with elected representatives. She trains leaders in the public sector to boost their political intelligence, which helps them understand office politics. And she also works with councillors to plan, develop and review CEO performance plans. And she's written the book on campaigning for political office. She's passionate about gender equality and improving opportunities for women, and she co-founded Honour a Woman, an organisation to advance equality in Australian honours. She's also a member of the board member of the Victorian Women's Trust. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Ruth. Hi, how are Hello, listeners. You're a Gippslander, and I've already said to people that we recorded this interview a few months ago, but are now doing an update. And obviously, Gippsland has been impacted by these bushfires, so on, over the last month or so. So firstly, I just wanted to check, how are you? How's the community? But we're going pretty well where we are. I live in West Gippsland, and Gippsland's 
about 22% of the state. So it's very large and it's got a number of local government areas and particularly in East Gippsland where they've been hit very hard. But over Western South Gippsland, it's still actually been quite a um, relaxing summer because we haven't had the threat of bushfires this end. And I mention that because I encourage people to come travelling to Gippsland. There's lots of tourism and businesses that rely on tourists to visit to keep the economy going. So don't avoid Gippsland. And even those affected areas come autumn, we'll need a lot of visitors and winter. So make your holidays destination those places and help the economy. Absolutely. I had Nicola Perro on last week from Destination Gippsland and she had exactly the same message. Visit Gippsland. It is such a beautiful place. So for those listening from Victoria or, or Australia, head on down to Gippsland. Not only is it a beautiful spot, it needs your help. When we spoke a few months ago, it was around how to get elected to councils, to states, to federal levels. And, you know, seeing those organisations almost like the boards, I guess, of those areas. So I'm wondering, in these times, in times of bushfires, in times of crisis, how might having communities with these types of skills really help those elected representatives? Or how might having elected representatives that you know, maybe better represent the community, help to manage these times of crisis? I think it's a really great opportunity for people that are concerned about the changing climate to get elected and make a difference. You can be outside the tent complaining or you can be inside actually making a difference. And no one gets that more effectively than those on the front line, which are the communities and the local councils that represent those communities. And why I say that is because local councils have to manage the risks facing their communities. Now, that might be something, if you're a coastal community, such as Wanthaggy or Inverloch in South Gippsland, you find the sea encroaching on the council assets, which is the streets and the boardwalks by the beach. And they've been washed away by increasingly devastating storms So the council has to respond to that and it might be protecting community assets from bushfire. So the local governments are responding to those risks. Um, Insurance companies are responding to it. Everyone knows that the climate is changing and local councils have to get on with the job. So it's not some toxic debate about whether or not climate change is real. Local councils know it is. That's why so many have declared a climate emergency. And I encourage people that are passionate about doing something to get elected, particularly in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland in 2020, there are local council elections coming up. And it's where you can also, you know, waste management. If you're concerned about plastic, then you can bring in systems to manage plastic and waste and it might be encouraging, you know, better recycling. So it's really practical response you can do on the ground as an elected representative. Yeah, such an important way of getting involved and having an impact. And it's it's on everyone's minds at the moment because of the bushfires and climate change. To me, it seems obvious that it's part of this bigger bushfires. So it seems such an amazingly practical way of being able to make change, get involved, get involved at your local level, get involved at your state level, whatever it may be. Yeah, and in my plug here, I'm actually a trained agricultural scientist is where I started off. Mm-hmm. So... I believe in looking at the evidence of things. So climate change isn't a belief. It's either the evidence has validity or it doesn't. 
Mm. So let's stop talking about do you believe in climate change? The evidence from a lot of things happening and the scientists show that it actually is changing. You know, it's going up one degree Celsius every couple of decades. So where are we headed? I hate to think, but we can make a difference and we can stop it. We're not powerless. All power to you, Ruth, in getting more people elected so that they these types of conversations can really change. And speaking of those conversations, I'm just wondering from your experience and, you know, the people that you deal with, if you've got any speculation about the conversations that are happening around climate change, either at that federal, state or local level. Uh, look, I think it is a complex issue and people tend to gravitate towards black and white answers. And so therefore you find some of the narrative around, well, if only we could do more backburning in the bush. And people just don't get it. I mean, backburning isn't even the term that's used. It's um, forest fuel reduction. And the window for the government to do that is getting less and less now because of the changing climate. The weather isn't conducive because if you do it too soon, it becomes a risk for bushfires. If you do it too late, it's too wet. You can't do it in spring because all the um, animals in the bush are nesting and they've got baby animals, so you don't want to burn all them up. So there's it's a very complex discussion to have. So I would encourage people to not rush into easy solutions that they think are right because it's not going to be that easy to fix. It actually takes a lot of people thinking about the right response and, again, looking at the evidence, well, what is going to work? And sometimes it might be, well, we just can't let people build in those areas that are buried in the forest Mm -hmm. unless their house is underground in a bunker so actually being smart about where we're heading and things are going to have to change so I'd encourage conversations to be open and curious about well what can we do to keep people safe rather than jump into so-called answers which aren't necessarily going to solve it. How are local governments managing risk uh, and how might their current experience in what they're working on be useful to them in managing risks around climate change? It's local council's bread and butter is managing the risk for their communities. They do this all the time. So, for instance, local councils lead the vaccination programs across Australia because those contagious diseases, measles, mumps, rubella, tussis, council know that that can affect communities, so they have vaccination programs. And it's similar with climate change, they know that the evidence shows it's affecting their community. So that's why they're taking steps. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on something else. And that is, you are also one of the founders of the fabulous Honour a Woman movement. And having just had the Australia Day uh, Awards announcements in Australia, we are moving closer to 50-50. Can you just give us a little update on that as well? Three years ago, I co-founded an organisation called Honour a Woman with two other women, Elizabeth Hartnell-Young and Carol Kiernan, and we were frustrated that for decades only a third of the Australian honours had been allocated to women. And we believe that recognition matters and you can't be what you can't see, all those sayings. So when you see women recognised as leaders and acknowledged for their outstanding contribution then it encourages other women to step up. And with the Australian Honours, it's fantastic to have this movement because it has lifted people's awareness that they too can nominate a woman. Anyone can nominate a woman on the Governor-General's website any day of the year. There's no closing date. And twice a year, those honours are announced. 
And since 2017, when we started our work, we've been pushing all around Australia for more people to nominate a woman, but also for governments to be proactive in how they seek out women of merit. And what we found that when we started, it was about 30% of the honours going to women. Now it's 42% nationally. And particularly in Victoria, which the government has made a commitment to actually have a program called Recognition Matters, where they have a full-time public servant seeking out women of merit and nominating them. And this all has to be done confidentially. Victoria is almost at parity yet on the Australia Day announcements. It was really fantastic to see that Victoria had reached 49.6% of the people awarded nominees were women. Um, We still have a way to go because most of those were at the so-called lower end of honours, OAMs. And as you go up, there's AMs, AO and ACs, and they're top heavy with men. But we're getting there. So it's, it's just fantastic to see how a movement with support, and there's 60 or so ambassadors behind us around Australia, a movement can change things. It is so fantastic. Thank you so much for your work in supporting women in getting those honours. I was incredibly proud to see that. Before we get into exploring getting elected, can you tell me just a bit more about you? And what I would love to hear is something that you're proud of from the last month or so. Well, in the last month, I have updated my book called Get Elected, a step-by-step campaign guide to winning public office. And I wrote this book last year because there's a big gap in the market for an instruction manual, basically, on how to run for politics. So unless you're under the wing of a major political party and being mentored by the party elders, it's very difficult to know what you have to do to get elected. So I wrote that book. Specifically, it's focused on encouraging independently-minded candidates to get elected to local councils, state parliament or federal parliament. And I've written it with women in mind because most of our parliaments are dominated by males and I wanted to encourage more women to run for office. So I'm really proud that this book sold out its first print run in five weeks when it was launched in April and I've updated Get Elected following the federal election in May 2019. Oh, fantastic. So I really want to talk about Get Elected, but just before we go there, tell me about your upbringing and, you know, the lessons you learnt there and maybe some of the leading influences on you. I grew up in country Victoria near a little place called Yakandanda, which listeners might know is near Wodonga and Beechworth in northeast Victoria. And I grew up on a big family farm, got quite a big clan up that way. The McGowans are sort of settled in in the valleys up there. And I was actually the 12th child of 14 kids. So I grew up in a family where it was very important to have your voice because if you didn't speak up, you wouldn't get heard. And uh, mum had 11 girls and three boys. So it was a family that you expected to pull your weight, whether that was in the household or in the community. And also there was the atmosphere that you could be whatever you wanted to be. Mum and dad were very supportive of us all having a great education and contributing to the community. And growing up, my, I guess you could say politics ran in the family, certainly at the local government level. 
So my grandfather was a shire president, which the mayors were called in those days, as was my great-grandfather, Tyrrells, around Rutherglen Way. And I had an uncle who was mayor of Wodonga, and my dad was also local councillor. So I used to help him in the election campaigns, going around and shoving leaflets in the mailboxes. So yes, it was in my blood, that level of politics. So often I distinguish as I've grown up, learnt that there's two types of politics. There's raw politics, which is public office, and then there's politics of how people get along and how you get stuff done. And I certainly learnt about that level of politics, which is often known as workplace politics or organisational politics. I learned about that in my birth family, that you needed collaborations, you needed to communicate well, and you needed to influence to get things done. Well, with that many kids in the family, your your household was the size of many small businesses in a way. So negotiating around that would be very like office politics, I imagine. Certainly bigger than your average board. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, they talk about, you know, the benchmark being, you know, seven plus or minus two, you well exceeded that number. As I said earlier, whether it's federal government, state government or local council, they're the governing bodies of our country or our regions or our state. So in some ways operate like a board, although in some ways don't at all. Yet having more women involved and more of the community involved in those organisations is going to be incredibly important. And as you say, no one had written the secrets to getting elected until you did. So thinking about getting elected and getting involved in those sorts of organisations, what are some of your tips for people? I'd like to start from thinking about why you would run for politics. And if we go back to the very beginning, politics is about resource allocation and decision-making. And whether it is at the local council level or in the federal parliament in the Senate, looking out over the whole of Australia, or local council looking at your ward, politicians are the ones who decide what needs to happen, the priorities and where the resources go. And that's everything from funding schools, hospitals, fixing up potholes on roads to managing defence and our policies on climate change or lack thereof. So there's a saying by the ancient Greek scholar, Persilis, I think his name was, I don't know how to pronounce it because it was Latin, but he said, you may not take an interest in politics, but politics will take an interest in you. And Unfortunately, many women choose not to take an interest in politics and young people and quite a lot of fellas as well. So the ones that do get elected often have different views that might not represent the population. So when you look at our population, 51% are women, but our parliaments are overwhelmingly older white men with a background in business and or politics or trade unions or law and most of them over 50, and they come from Anglo-Saxon backgrounds. So they don't actually represent the public. Some try and do a good job, but I think our democracy works much better when the people you see around the chambers and the boardrooms and the parliaments represent the diversity of the community. So similar, I know you talk a lot about in your board Kickstarter, how valuable it is to have diversity of opinions and views for decision-making. Yep. 
And for instance, if you're a company making baby milk powder, you probably want a woman who has used milk powder to feed her baby on the board to give that perspective. So similarly in our parliaments, if you're making decisions about kindergarten funding, it would be great to have some politicians there that actually know about kindergarten funding because they've been presidents or secretaries of their local kindergarten. Mm. So one of the reasons I wrote Get Elected was to simplify and sort of unpack the steps that you might need to take to run for office and uh, make it easier to understand than the arcane secret business of political parties that, unless you're a member, they don't actually let you in and show you how to do it. You know, again, it's the similarities between a, a board, I know they are like boards in some ways, but the similarities between boards and knowing why you want to get involved in that and boards deal with resource allocation, boards are doing the decision making and knowing that why of what it is you want to get involved in and having that diversity in that decision-making is absolutely vital. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think in some way councils getting elected to local government can be easier than getting on a board. So for some of your listeners that are thinking, well, how do I build my skill set? If they're in a smaller council, for instance, in rural or regional Australia, it's often easier to get elected to council than it might be to get to a corporate board. But this will build the skills in governance, Mm. team working, understanding, all those things that uh, will help you if you eventually apply to go on a board. The beauty about local councils, let's start with that, is that there's 533 councils across Australia and about 5,500 roles for councillors. So there are plenty of opportunities. And once you do get elected to council, after you've read my book, which has helped you do that, (laughs) then you can get access to training and training in governance, in reading financial documents. So all of those things are provided when you're a councillor. That's post-election training. And it can be a really great stepping ground. So yeah, a little bit more egalitarian because you don't necessarily need to be an accountant or a lawyer. The pay is not as good when you're a councillor as being on some of those high-flying boards. But it is a fantastic training ground, particularly for women that have great community engagement skills and good networks to get on council and then in the future think about, well, what boards yes. would I like to apply for? I love that it's it's proactive. It's not sitting back and either waiting to be asked or even applying for board roles and you know, maybe getting them, maybe not getting them. It's putting your hand up and getting elected. So it's taking it out of the hands of just a couple of people about choosing whether you should be on that board or not and putting it in the hands of many people about whether you are elected to that role. You know, you'd mentioned some of the skills there beyond being a lawyer, beyond being an accountant, those skills around community engagement and communication and bringing people along and change management and all of those sorts of things are vital in the boardroom. So if we can get women elected to council, build the skills and then hopefully leverage those skills into some boards as well, which is not to say council's not important, but for me, it's about boards. So that's fantastic. Hopefully that has, you know, piqued the interest of some people that are listening and going, oh, council, I hadn't thought about that before. Maybe that is a way that I can get involved. Where should they begin? What are the secrets It's perfect timing at the moment. So why is this important right now to be talking about this subject is 
in October next year, the Victorian local government elections are happening. Mm -hmm. So that means in 11 months' time, there's that opportunity to get elected to one of the 79 councils around Victoria. Similarly, in New South Wales, local government elections are happening in September next year. So across New South Wales right now, people are starting to kick into gear and thinking about their campaigns. Also in Queensland, so all along the eastern seaboard, apart from Tasmania, which was last year, along the eastern seaboard, elections are happening. So the Queensland local government elections are in March. Mm -hmm. And for every other state and territory, except for the territories, ACT, every other state, Northern Territory has local government elections. So they happen on a regular cycle. They're not just called at whim like the federal elections. So people can start to plan now for when they're running. They can get their action plan happening and and I do unpack how to do all this and get elected. And they have an opportunity to run for council in 2020. Well, half the country does. So it's really great timing. We do know that looking at, uh, as I mentioned before, most levels of government, there are way more men than women. Mm -hmm. In Victoria, 38% of councillors are women. So we still have a little ways to go to get equality there. But interesting, Victoria is leading the country. So you look at New South Wales and only 23% of councillors there are women. So there's a huge opportunity for women to run for local council. And there's plenty of reasons why they should. So that is why it's really important to be talking about running for council now. State elections come and go. They can be a little bit harder to get elected as an independent, but that's not to say some of the people listening to this may be members of political parties and thinking, well, now's the time for me to give pre-selection a crack and see what it's like to run and maybe become a member of parliament. It's Helia here, and I'm popping in to share with you a very special offer just for Take On Board listeners. The 2020 Board Accelerator Program is a small group program for women board members who are just like you, curious, keen to learn, wanting to expand their networks, and wanting to be their best in the boardroom. The monthly sessions are run via Zoom, so you can participate from wherever you are in Australia or the world. I would love to welcome you to the group but there's only one spot left in each group. So here's the special bit. Even though early bird prices closed last week, I would love to give you one of the last spots at early bird prices. You have to be one of the first to contact me. You'll find my email and some information about the program in the show notes, and you'll find the show notes in your podcast app or on my website, heliasvenson.com.au. Go on. It's a really fabulous group and I would love you to be part of it. Now, back to the show. I imagine there are other opportunities, particularly in local government, but possibly even within the other levels of government as well, that even not necessarily as an elected person, but around, say, council committees or advisory committees and so on that might also build some of that experience for council roles. What's been your experience there? Nearly every local government I've come across have subcommittees or committees that they invite community representatives to join. And these are fantastic opportunities, I guess, if you want to start flexing your voice in that arena, but also to understand how governance works from a local government perspective. 
So considering the issues, making recommendations, which are then taken to a formal council meeting. And look, I now live in West Gippsland, so I love rural Australia and, and that's, that's my home. So I look around where I live and there's plenty of opportunities, whether it's the local hall committee to help manage that really important community asset or whether it's the cemetery trust. Mm -hmm. So lots of local communities have cemetery trusts and these are semi-government organisations. So they come under the auspice of government departments. So there is governance training there as well. But a lot of these sort of organisations are always looking for community members. And then you have the volunteers and not-for-profits, everything from school councils and kindergartens and, you know, land care, CFA, Country Fire Authority, all those opportunities. So I think they're really important to build your experience and also to help you understand what's going on in the community so then when you do come to run for public office, you have a solid platform on which to run because you understand the issues and you understand your community. I'm imagining people listening to this and particularly given you've said there's opportunities coming up in the next 12 months across the eastern seaboard for being elected. Let's say I'm convinced. That's it. Fantastic. I'm going to run for local council in 12 months' time in my local area. What should I be doing now? What are the steps that I should be taking over the next 12 months to get elected? Great question. Can I just take you back five seconds and say, mm. well, why would you be running? Because I think one of the really important things is to understand why would you run for office? Mm. I've heard you when you're interviewing some of your past participants here, time and time again, people say, make sure you do due diligence you understand the board you're about to join. You even perhaps go along and listen to some of the board discussions, read the annual report. And importantly, the purpose of the board also needs to be aligned to your purpose and values and behaviours. So I would suggest that people do a considered, it's almost like a desktop analysis of why would you run for council? What's your motivation? And where would you run for council? So I'm talking about that level of local government at the moment. Mm -hmm. Where would you run? Which ward? So a lot of councils are broken down into different wards. You don't necessarily have to live in the ward that you're going to run for. So which ward? Where's the best chance of getting elected? So you do the really careful analysis, the environmental scanning, if you like. Yep. Go along to council meetings, sit and listen look at the community Facebook group, see what are the issues that people are talking about when it comes to your local council. Mm. So in the end, I say there's basically three reasons why people run. And it might be that they're really annoyed about something council has done. So I call that, I hope this isn't a dirty word, but I say pissed off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so often people run for politics because they're pissed off about something the government's done. So they're angry and they want to change it or something that the government isn't doing. So they're angry and they want to change that. The second reason they run is because they're passionate about something. And these two things are often closely aligned. So I'm trying to reframe that a bit more positively. So be passionate about having more opportunities for young people. And they say everyone on the council's over 65. I'm going to run as a 22-year-old. Mm -hmm. The third reason people run is because because they love politics and they see politics as a career path. Mm. So we talked a bit earlier about local government as a stepping pathway, 
potentially to state or federal and also boards. Mm -hmm. So it's good to get clear in your mind why you're running because that helps you to develop your key messages. So, for instance, I'll go back to that example. If you're young and you're running, your key messages might be around freshness and different point of view. So it all feeds into then planning your campaign. So once you're really clear on why you're running, where you're going to run and your timing, then that's when you start planning your campaign. But put the bedrock in place first. And for some people, they go, they might decide, oh, I'm not really sure if council's for me. Well, I would encourage those people to get on a campaign for someone else. Mm. And next year in 2020, volunteer to go on a campaign team for someone else that's running, someone who supports their values and do everything you can to help get that person elected. And then in four years' time, when local government elections come around again, you'll be better placed to run yourself. So, yeah, I've got lots of tips about how to actually plan the campaign, but I think the bedrock, getting that in place, which is your why, why you're going to run is really, really important. And I, I love that angle of the, doing your, as you say, the due diligence and lots of councils. And again, I know we're focusing on councils and it could be other areas, but lots of councils will webcast their council meetings or and communicate through social media and so on. So it's a really great way. I've sat down and watched our local council meetings when they've been discussing things that I've been interested in. So it's a great way of getting across and finding out exactly what happens if you were elected. Sometimes you often hear this thing, hey, yeah, uh, council's just roads, rates and rubbish, Mm -hmm. which if you didn't know council, you'd think, oh, how boring. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think that's designed to keep it boring, to keep women away. I'm going to be a little bit provocative here because if you think about roads, roads is actually about infrastructure, helping people get from A to B. Now, whether that's cycling paths or making footpaths more disabled access or, you know, putting ramps in so prams can get up and down the curb. When you reframe roads to infrastructure, women become more interested. Mm. When you talk about rates, I mean, That's how to go to sleep very quickly, talking about rates. So when I switched and talk about finance and understanding resource allocation, and we're talking millions and millions of dollars, even the smallest ones are over $10 million, but some of them are half a billion bucks. So if you can learn the world of finance and resource allocations and audit and risk, then that immediately becomes much more attractive and sexy than talking about rates. And the third thing, people talk about rubbish. Well, we know this year what's happened with the sustainability, uh, the waste recycling crisis, that it's so much more. It's actually about sustainability. How do we build in sustainable products and use patterns in our community? And I know many, many people and women in particular are interested about how we can make our environments more sustainable for the next generation. So instead of roads, rates and rubbish, I talk about infrastructure, finance, sustainability, connectivity, community engagement, and suddenly you're talking about an opportunity that goes, yep, I want to get there. It sounds fantastic. Take me to the nearest local government elections. (laughs) So then it begs the question, Ruth, when are you running, whether it's for local, state or federal? Well, that's a good question because 11 years ago I did run Mm. and I ran because I was annoyed 
at something our council was doing. And um, my community was up in arms about a planning application and asked me if I could um, advocate to the council on behalf. So I went to the council chamber. It was my first time and spoke loudly and clearly on why we didn't want this planning thing to go ahead. Mm-hmm. And we won that night, but I looked around the room and it was all men. All the councillors were men, all the executive team, CEO were all men, 14 men making decisions on behalf of our community. And there's that saying, be the change you wish to see. So a couple of months after that, there was a by-election, put my hat in the ring and I got elected. And it was, it was really tough, oh, yeah, just being the only woman there in the room yep. and working hard to advocate for the issues that I felt passionately about and hitting some quite strong resistance from some of the older men there. And at times it was very, very challenging. But the next election I worked hard out in the community with some other women to encourage diverse women to run and five of those blokes got kicked out. Mm. Four women got elected, a couple of other young fellas and that council, which is Borbalshire Council, has never gone back to all male. Mm. And the next time I got elected mayor. So I've had my stint at local government and I also, and this is what I write about in my book, I was also involved in helping my sister Cathy McGowan get elected to federal parliament as the first female independent representative in the House of Representatives for the seat of Indi in northeast Victoria. So I helped coordinate Cathy's campaigns in 2013 and 2016. And that was just groundbreaking stuff for a, a woman to get elected as an independent in parliament. And a lot of what I learned on that campaign, I also translate into accessible tips in Get Elected. Mm. And it's, you know, it's often held up and from the outside certainly looked like an incredible campaign in terms of engaging the community. So really getting the community involved in that rather than potentially taking them for granted. It was because the community are voters after all. And when you're talking about boards, they're the ones that purchase the products and the services. So it's not too different in that aspect. Okay, well, then I might let you off the hook then because you have got elected previously in and of your own right and you've got your sister elected in an incredible campaign of involving the community. So Yeah, and I do work a lot in running seminars and workshops particularly for women, to support them to get elected. So Mm. I work with organisations around Australia, the National Rural Women's Coalition, ALGWA, the Australian Local Government Women's Association and Women for Election Mm. and and other groups like WILD who are women in local democracy down to long way. Oh, Ruth, we have covered a lot of fabulous tips here, both your own experience but also your tips of how to get elected and why people might want to get elected and the things that they should think about in that process. What are the main things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I would like people to realise that politics is everywhere. You're actually stepping in it. Literally, the moment you walk out your door, if there's a road or a pathway there, you're stepping in politics. And if you're not happy with it or you want something to change, then it is really, really important to have your voice heard more than the once every four years ticking a box in a ballot booth. And I would encourage people to have your voice heard, firstly, by talking to your local member if you're unsatisfied with something and you can just ring them up. 
They've all got mobile phones and office staff. Well, councillors don't have office staff, but they have emails and mobiles. So ring them up, get your voice heard. And if you're not happy with the response, then either think about running yourself or supporting someone else to do it. Mm. Back to my original quote, you know, you may not be interested in politics, but politics takes an interest in you. And I think we've all got a voice that we need to use when we're unhappy about something Mm because you don't really get anywhere with just complaining. And I learned that very much growing up. There was no point in complaining. You bucked in and you helped or you tried to change something. Is there a resource that you can suggest, a book or a TED Talk or a podcast that you might suggest that might be helpful for uh, the Take On Board community? other than, of course, your magnificent book, which we'll put a link to. One of the things I talk to people when I'm running my political intelligence training is the importance of networking. And, again, your guests have mentioned that. It's not just what you know, it's who you know. And networks are really powerful for recommendations and understanding different boards. So often someone will put your name forward. And one way to build those networks is through LinkedIn. And when I look at women's LinkedIn profiles that I'm connecting with, some are really amazing kick-ass LinkedIn profiles. Others are just really bland. There's an old photo and the blue billboard bit doesn't even have any pictures up there, not like your one, which is stunning. And I would encourage people to think about LinkedIn as a way to build their networking. And even if they know someone that's a chair of the board, connect with them. You actually don't need to know everyone that you ask to connect with. Also add a message about why you want to connect with them. And one resource that I reckon is fantastic in this space is a great little podcast as well by two Australian women. I love to share podcasts and it's called Jack and Jill on LinkedIn. And these women are funny. They kick ass and they give some great tips on how to build your LinkedIn profile. Fantastic. I love a good podcast recommendation. I might tune into that one as well. So again, I'll make sure I put a link to that one in the show notes. There is so much fantastic fodder here for people who are listening, I think, around thinking about governance broadly and having that voice and getting involved in some of that change. And then, of course, actually putting the hand up and getting elected So thank you so much for your time today and your wonderful wisdom about getting elected, Ruth. I appreciate it and I know the people listening in will as well. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Halia, and good luck anyone who's ever considering running for politics. The world needs you. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.